Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. As always, are Vince and Zach. We are here to talk about the comics being released on the twenty eighth of December, twenty twenty one. The last uh, regular show of twenty twenty one. We're going out with a bang here, folks. Got four four killers to talk about, or not? We'll see. Um, number coming up first is Action Comics number ten thirty eight, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Miguel Mendonca. Um, Zach, as the resident Superman boy, I want you to start us off with this. What are you thinking about War World right now? I think it's really good. Um, like, I don't know. I, I had to go back and read the last issue before this one. And I'm just cons- between these two issues, I'm just consistently surprised with how far DC is letting johnson go with this book um just with how how like dark and how um uh, i want to say unsafe just because it's the opposite of safe it's not that this is like an unsafe book but this feels so much more i guess like this is slightly more daring than i feel like we're usually used to superman stories being which isn't saying much like I feel like Superman comics typically play it extremely safe. Um, but th- this feels considerably more daring than most Superman stories, at least like in continuity. And I'm also surprised with just like how quickly we've gotten to the future state status quo, essentially. Um, like I know I think, in multiple I think ways, just, actually. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, in several ways, like Clark is there. Midnighter is there. Mm-hmm. Um I almost kind of think that I really I don't remember the like origin for that new black racer at all. <laughs> but I wonder if like this Leah stuff oh. is gonna be tying into that in some way. That's um, a good call. There's just so much going on in this in this issue. Um and I, I really like it. I, I really like the way the authority characters are being used. I think, you know, we always talk about how like suicide squad teams are put together so that you'll have some, uh, you know, expendable characters and the authority is kind of playing a similar role um, where we don't actually, you know, we, we don't actually know what's going to happen to a lot of these characters or what their roles are going to be. And some of them are having, you know, more elevated roles than I think we maybe would have expected, like with OMAC. Um, I think the OMAC... Natasha pairing is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I really like this. I, I think the the art is a slight step down from Sampier, but not significantly. Um, I, think I was going to say it still does a good job. Yeah, I think Mendonca's doing the best work I've seen him do. Yeah, on this. Um, but I, I tend to agree it's a slight step down as well. Vincey, what did you think of this? Yeah, I actually, the art was the first thing I wanted to talk about because I was surprised that at how little of a step down I thought it was. I think um, this is probably the most refined work I've seen from, I learned this week it's Mendonca. Oh, really? How you pronounce his last name? Yeah. So, um, how did you learn I, that? Just out of curiosity. Um, I saw a pronunciation on some website I was re- uh, reading. Okay. I don't, I don't remember where. I was just reading about this run and um yeah anyway they had they had a pronunciation on that's very website. helpful thank you 
Yeah. Yep. Um, anyway, I, I think like it's their most refined work that I've seen. And I think it's, it's, well, and the colors help to, 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 um, sort of place it in Philip Kennedy Johnson's run. Cause the, the colors are really what, what tie the two artists together, I think. But I think, uh, Mendonca's art is, is really like, um, leaning towards the Sam Pierce stuff intentionally, you know, and I think it really works. It really works. Um, I think if you saw them side by side, you'd be able to pick out the differences. But I think if you're a reader who's not like intensely paying attention to uh, artists and who's who or whatever, you would go month to month on this and maybe not realize or it wouldn't trip you up, you know. Um, but I also think there's a lot of like refined uh, sort of layout work that he's doing here. Cause like the, the title page, right. It's got like, it's got Superman like strung up in chains and it's got uh, one of the, one of the Mongol minions um, in the foreground, his like big head in the foreground. And he's like pointing at Superman and kind of like mocking him or calling him out to the, to the crowd who's gathered around. Right. And that, that page has such like a, you know, Superman is the focal point in the middle, but there's stuff going on in the foreground. There's stuff going on in the background and it's all very, it's arranged in a very like uh, uh, intentional and like visually pleasing layout. You know, I think all, all the, all the lines kind of point to Superman in the middle. Right. Um, and, and just the effect that that has is, is pretty strong. And he does a few things like that throughout the the issue that, caught my eye um and so you know there might be a little glow up we always talk about the artistic glow ups on our show and i think i think there might be a a glow up for this guy (laughs) yeah Um, i i very much agree with that i feel like this is the type of issue that the, the last two issues i should say that are the types of issues where if you hadn't been paying attention you might think this is a newcomer to dc I actually just just this is a, this is a sad story to re- reiterate, but a couple of days ago I saw on my Time Hop app that Walter had tweeted two years ago. I don't know who this Robson Roca guy is, but holy shit, can he draw? It was yeah. the first issue he did of the Aquaman, the Kelly Sue Aquaman run, mm-hmm. um, and how like for dickheads like us who read every comic, we've known Robson Roca for a while, but for the average person maybe isn't reading all the DC stuff. That name seemed new, and this seems like this type of thing where somebody might see Mendon Mendon pronounce it again mendonca mendonca's art again for the first time and think that this is like a, a newcomer to dc not realizing that they've done a lot of work for dc over the past you know four or five years yeah yeah absolutely um i think he does a really great job of making i i think what what philip kennedy johnson is kind of going for with this whole thing is like a superman as conan the barbarian kind of you know and I feel like the art is really taking you there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I also love what they're doing with all the different pieces on the team. So like uh, uh, they're, they're giving everyone their own kind of role that either fits their character or is helping to craft uh, characterization for them in some way. So like, we don't know much about this new OMAC character, really. We've just gotten like the one mini series with them. 
and uh, you know a few issues beyond that. Um, but I think the work that's done with them and Natasha and having them break out and you know they kill a bunch of the war zones and then they get subdued. There's a lot of great character work with that, and then they kind of go and get stashed over in this corner where they're going to be. They're, they're given iron. They're essentially taken in as like warriors in this arena, even though they fought back and resisted and killed some of the war zones. It's kind of their like the, the book kind of frames it as both a punishment, but also an honor that's being bestowed upon them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, you have like uh, Clark, who's just thrown, who's just like thrown in prison and he's leading this, going to lead this like uh, resistance uprising or whatever. And I love the stuff. I really love the scripting uh, from Johnson with around the Superman stuff, how he's got this moral code that we all know. And uh, like the best writers know how to tap into that and, and, and stick with it. And I love that. I love that, you know, nobody's listening to him, but he's got this belief that he's expressing to Midnighter that, you know, if he can talk to everybody in that room, he, he believes he can turn every single person around, you know? Uh, and to kind of, to doubt Superman is kind of strange. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yet you can see why Midnighter would, you know, like all the, that, that back and forth, like it's something that should be old hat. Like, Oh, somebody's doubting Superman, but we know Superman's going to pull it out. Right. It should all be very old hat to us. We talk about it all the time, how we read like these Batman stories that are the same over and over again. Right. And some of them do it better than others, but you know, here's a Superman story where the moral core to it or Superman's belief in himself is not very different from what we've seen from the character in, you know, dozens of other stories, but the way that Johnson writes it and the way that all the other characters grapple with it, it's just extremely well done. It's really, really satisfying. I think. Yeah. To, to piggyback off of two things that you had said there. Um, I particularly loved the line he had to midnight or midnight is walking away from him and says, do you really think that there, cause he's been saying, listen, these people who you want to free, they were cheering you when you got defeated. Are their lives worth more than ours? And Superman says, not more, but not any less. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just the perfect bit of Superman dialogue there. Just like Italian chef kiss emoji Superman dialogue. The other thing is that um, there's a part where Mongol gives Superman this axe and says, you're going to kill this guy because he betrayed me. And if you don't, I'm going to hunt down and kill your son and superman is left with these two choices and what he does with the axe instead is he throws and he cuts down leah's body and i feel like uh this is me putting on theologian brian hat here for a second like one of the things that if you're studying christian scripture when you're talking about jesus jesus is often presented with a binary choice and he chooses something outside of that and that's exactly what superman does here like he is he is choosing to not he is refusing to cast his lot in one way or another. He's doing something different. Mm-hmm. And I think that the best Superman stories do that, not just because Superman's a Christ figure, but because just in general, that's just, you know, um, we hear President Superman saying that a couple of times to just League Incarnate last issue in this issue, just about like, or the issue for next week, I guess. Um, just like the idea of, of that, that's not what heroes do. Heroes do better. 
And I feel like this is just such good stuff of Superman doing better. But I also want to say I love the Midnighter stuff here. I love um, the OMAC stuff. I think every character in this is really, really well written. And I just want to say I understand why we had this position a month and a half ago. But shame on us for doubting that Philip Johnson and Grant Morrison in D.C. didn't have a plan for this book. Because it, it really did seem like Superman and the Authority was its own thing. And how is this going to tie in? And now that it's all here, like, it's just, it's so, I'm enjoying this so much. This is the most I've enjoyed a Superman book in a very, very long time. I I agree with that, yeah. Um, I do want to talk for a minute about the Martian Manhunter backup that we've been getting. Um in this, which I, I think is actually a very strange thing. First of all, I love that DC is doing more backups. We're going to get a gem of a backup next week. Just uh, warning you guys now, look out for that gem of a backup next week. <laughs> um, but uh, Action Comics is kind of a weird place for a Martian Manhunter story, but I'm not going to complain. Uh, in the first installment, he was at a museum and there was a painting done by Kyle Rayner. Which is a really nice tip of the hat, Vince. I mean, Brian Nip. Yes, well, it's Brian Nip for a lot of reasons. But like Kyle Rayner is a fine artist in the DC universe, but we never hear about that, right? So love that. But overall, this story it's it's sort of bringing back a lot of the uh, Martian Manhunter stuff from his past. It reminds me a little bit of what I was going to say. That's like it's that's all it's doing, right? It reminds me a little bit of the Jeff Johns Hawkman series from uh, a while back where a lot of that was was doing similar stuff but this is obviously doing it in like bite-sized chunks um uh, vince what'd you think of this um i liked it i don't think it's telling much of a story uh, all it is doing is aggregating all this martian manhunter stuff uh, a lot of it which we haven't seen in a while right like um it feels like the assignment was, hey, do a Martian Manhunter story, but you got to use all the stuff that Steve Orlando didn't use when he wrote that miniseries, <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure, like, the, the, the idol head of Diablo wasn't in that. I don't, as I recall, Zook was not in <laughs> Steve Orlando's uh, run i believe the vulture organization was not in orlando's run so it's like everything that you know about martian manhunter that orlando didn't do in his series so and you know what kind of a story is this telling well it's basically setting up that this is some kind of conspiracy that that john jones has to sniff out and it works but you know it's it's not blowing the doors off or anything like that agreed uh, yeah zach any uh any other thoughts on this uh we we lost zach i mean he's still showing up on the call i'm here oh, oh. that was weird i don't know what happened uh any other thoughts on the martian manhunter backup um it's funny that human flame lost all his money to nfts Yes, it is funny. <laughs> um, what would it? What would bored apes be in the DC universe? Um, or bored grads? Uh, grumpy grads. Yeah. Grumpy, grumpy grads. grads. 
well done well done thank you um that's way more clever than bored apes to begin with um <laughs> fair enough the the only other thing i want to mention about this story which is not even really about this story i i had like a funny thing that happened when i was doing some research for this because i was trying to figure out what the you know part of the story is that people are going to this online forum called catharsis uh aureus and they're they're meeting and that's where this like that's where this like conspiracy is going on or or, or like that's where the groundswell is happening and so i i did some googling to figure out what that might stand for and Ultimately, I figured out that it's uh, the catharsis aureus is a turkey vulture um, and vulture okay. vulture is a criminal organization in the mm-hmm. Martian Manhunter canon. But what I came across first, which I think is just funny that I wanted to mention, is there was a character in the New 52 named Catharsis, which had nothing to do with Martian Manhunter. Do, do either stop, of you guys? Stop, stop, re- stop, stop, stop. Let's right. guess what book it appeared in. Zach, that's, you first. that's what I was going to have you do. Okay, yeah. good. All right. Okay. Wait, the, char- the character. The character's uh, code name was Catharsis. In the New 52? In the New 52. I'm going to say Ravagers. <laughs> We're on a similar wave. I was going to say Superboy. Ah. Uh, no, I, I'll, I'll tell you that Gail Simone created this character. Oh, did we talk so about it, it um, in the Patreon? Is it Batgirl? We it is Batgirl. I don't think we talked about Catharsis, but there's a very funny thing about Catharsis. Do you remember the the? Do you remember the real life connection that Catharsis has to somebody famous? I don't know anything about Catharsis. Yeah, same. <laughs> okay, Catharsis. Catharsis uh, name in the New Fifty Two is Kulop Vilaysak. The wife of Scott Ackerman. Yes, the wife of Scott Ackerman. It's literally based on Kulop's life. Um, this this Kulop character in the New Fifty Two is like a um, uh, Asian American from, uh, from Laos. From Laos, uh, uh, lived in Minnesota for most of her life. Um, it's like literally like Gail just put Kulop wow. in. How did we not talk about that on that Batgirl episode? I I don't know. I if don't you don't know, know what we're talking well, about, go to dc3cast.com for our Patreon. Well, I'll tell you why we probably didn't. Because a lot of that was not really fleshed out, as I recall, until the movement where Kulop was basically one of the main characters. Oh, I totally forgot that that carried over. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had Movement, no idea. folks. What's next? Uh, the green team, teen millionaires or whatever <laughs> the shit it was? Teen trillionaires? What's next is a bowel movement. Oh, there we go. Hi. Um, all right, well, let's let's move along then to Aquaman the Becoming number four, written by Brandon Thomas, illustrated by Scott Coblish. Um, so this issue gives us a lot about Jackson Hyde's mom. And what I like about this issue is that I think for the most part, there's been this setup throughout Jackson's life is that he is like from half villain stock, right? That his dad was a super villain, but he was he was more than who his father was, and he is, you know, he's more his mother's son, whatever. This issue basically says, no, his mom's a piece of shit too. And I think that that's an interesting place to take the character. Um, I think that there's interesting stuff sort of within the story. 
I just think that this issue was kind of boring and getting that information to us. Yeah, I feel the same way pretty much. I, um, I think that there's an interesting story here, but I, I think it was kind of muddled in that. Do, do either of you feel like Thomas kind of goes out of his way to obfuscate like um, Jackson's mom's role and everything, like dragging out the clarification of everything? Oh, yeah, this could have happened in like five pages. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It it wasn't a very clean read. Um, even though it is it is interesting, and I, I I really like a lot of this. I love the art. I I think Koblish did a really good job in this issue compared to like I I think he also did some work on an earlier issue that I didn't like as much, but. Something about this feels just a lot better. I think a lot of that comes down to Lucas's colors still, but the the layouts and the pages, I think, are are also a lot more confident and and competent as well. So, um, I I enjoy this book artistically, and and like I said, I like a lot of the ideas here, but uh, th- this just feels kind of padded. Man, the six issue mini is just kind of a curse. Yes. That's my thoughts exactly. <laughs> I think, um, you know, rather than uh, rehash what you guys have already said, which I agree with, I think like it's not, it's not, you know, Thomas is not the only one who does this. So many writers do the thing where, okay, we got everybody in the room and we're just going to have them say exposition to one another, you know, and they're going to just explain all the dynamics of whatever this is. And then we're going to have the, you know, action for the last two issues. And we're, we're calling it good on the six issue mini, right? That is so often the, the tack that writers take. And I think it's because like, it is difficult to get this information out in a way that is also uh, uh, visually pleasing. But then I think you need to, pare the information down or dole it out dole it out either in less pages but very condensed or dole it out more gradually over the course of the miniseries right yeah too often too often writers get stuck making a whole issue like one full issue of the miniseries into the info dump you know um and i just don't think you know this this series had been so good up until now and I don't think this is bad. I just think it's the exact type of comic that 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 you read too often, you know. But what I will say uh, to compliment Thomas, because I think he's an incredibly smart writer, and th- I think that's on display here too, as far as like the way that he recontextualizes the Zebelian uh, politics with Atlantis and kind of it's not one-to-one exactly, but kind of does like a battle of Algiers thing with the Zebelian liberation front and, and, and uh, that side of things. And I think it's, it's really well done from a conceptual standpoint. It's more the delivery to the reader that is not as satisfying as the actual like ingenuity of the idea. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say about this. 
Yeah, I, th- I think we all feel the same way about this. This issue reminded me a little bit of what Nubia and the Amazons has going right now, which is just like, I understand why this is all good, important information for the story that's coming up, but I wish it was a better story getting us the information. I, I feel that this issue is very similar to Nubia and the Amazons number three we got last week. Hmm. Yeah, that didn't occur to me, but but now that you're saying that, I can see. Yeah, it it is. That was also characters standing around saying like, "Okay, this is what you know. This this is what the this is what the conflict is. This is what our this is what's happening." Yep. And then and then you hope in the next couple of issues something something is actually going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we return, we will talk about our final two issues of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with Robin number nine, written by Joshua Williamson and illustrated by Roger Cruz. First time we've seen Cruz on this book, I think. Correct? To my knowledge, I can't remember where else I've seen Roger Cruz at all. Yeah, um... I will say at the top that uh, I, I do miss Gleb Melnikoff on this book, but I thought Roger Cruz did a kind of did a pretty nice job with this issue. As far as fill-ins go, I think he captured some of the spirit that of Gleb's work without doing like a bad Gleb impression, which sometimes happens when a when a fill-in artist comes on. Uh, Zach, you've been you've been very quiet this week. Why don't you talk about this book first? I don't know if I've been quiet. I had a lot to say about Action Comics, but <laughs> um. um... I didn't love this. It was fine. Um, I kind of groaned a lot when the book spent about three or four pages doing the father, I will become a bat thing. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, In a Robin book. (laughs) Why is this happening? Um, and because like every, I just, every like ten bat ish, every ten bat family comics, that line has to appear, or the pearls have to appear. Yeah, yeah, we'll probably we'll have more to say about that next week too. I think. Um, <laughs> I just I don't care really. I th- I'll just say that this tournament arc hasn't like tur- turned out exactly kind of how I hoped it was going to. Um, it's all just kind of a little underwhelming to me, I guess. The reveal about what the tournament is for, you know, this demon thing, uh, Mother Soul, and and, and the way that it all just kind of wraps up is just, like, very okay to me. I I still really like a lot of these characters. I, I think... 
I want to like what Williamson is doing. It's just, it didn't quite land it for me. And then the, the way that the book ended is even less interesting to me. So I was, I was pretty disappointed in this. I will agree that the way the book ended was a bit disappointing. I think that it ended in a way where I, I, it feels to me like Williamson's story was supposed to end in issue nine or 10, but somebody said, no, you have to extend this run three or four issues. And so they send Robin back in time so that this can happen and they can then bring him back to finish the run whenever is convenient. That's how it felt to me. Vince, what would you think of this? Yeah, I didn't love it either. I think like if this was the conclusion of the, the Lazarus tournament and, and sort of our time on that island, and maybe it's not, but but if it is, I, I do wish it would have been drawn by Gleb because I feel like he has earned the the. That's <laughs> such a such a stupid thing to say about uh, corporate work, but he has earned the right to like end that story, or <laughs> or that's how I want to see it end. You know what I mean? Um, but I think Roger Cruz did a fine job, and I think. Uh, Cruz's interpretation of all these different weird characters on the island that that Damien ends up allied with, they're all very good. I just, yeah, if, it's if, not if that is right, it's not Gleb and and yeah, there's just a different kind of more crackling energy when when Gleb is drawing it. Um, also, yeah, I cannot imagine why we're having to revisit this particular era of uh, Rachel Ghoul's past. Um, you know, Sora, that, that woman that he's writing oh, the alongside. Main character of Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I yep. know. Zach Sora. Nip. I know, surprised, I know you're, surprised you're not excited about this considering they meet Goofy and Donald at the end of the issue. Um, Gorsh, Mr. Al Ghoul. <laughs> no, that character, Sora Al Ghoul, as far as I know, has appeared in only one comic in dc's history batman batman and what i was gonna guess what it was but you already said it so go ahead well batman annual number 26 this was this was around the this was october 2007 so very much in the sort of grant morrison era uh because it was shortly after damien was introduced i believe do you know who the writer of that story would have been can i guess joshua williamson no i wasn't no no because he was doing some dc stuff right around that time he was doing yeah. batman superman whatever um, no it was peter milligan of all people oh <laughs> yeah and it it was a it's a very specific uh time in rachel ghoul's life and so this the end of robin number nine is essentially just revisiting Batman annual number 26. I don't know if anyone remembers that story other than it's in the trade paperback of the resurrection of Rachel Ghoul that came that, out around, around the, the son of son of Batman stuff. That's a deep cut, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I agree with you guys. I am not interested in that at all. And I wanted this book to go in a different direction. And I feel like doubling back on that is kind of an ill portent for it. 
Um, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. I just don't know. It just feels very out of place for this story. Well, I imagine it's all Shadow War set up because that's coming in March. Yes. Like we're going to find out some kind of secret history of the leagues. Um, that That's my guess. It's a good guess. Yeah, I, I don't have a better guess than that. Mm. That seems pretty spot on. But Williamson's not writing that, is he? No, he is. No, I was, he is, yeah. I was thinking of you're the thinking weird... of the Earth Three thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other weird crossover from the same month. Yeah, um, a lot of crossovers that month. Yeah, there's uh, a Shadow War, Earth Three, Trial of the Amazons. We um, still in the Tower of the uh, Shadows of the Bat, rather. Yeah, Shadows of the Bat. I think the second half of the. Superboy Nightwing thing. Yes, yes. And then also it sounds like there's like the first part of a Superboy Flash thing. Yes. Or maybe it's Nightwing and Flash. It's one of those it's something like that. I believe I think it's, it's Nightwing, Nightwing and Flash, and Flash actually. Yeah. yeah. I think that's actually gonna be an arc with Nightwing and a bunch of the old Teen Titans from the solicit, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Like the Wally's okay. the first one, but there'll be subsequent Teen Titans showing up. Hmm. Um, which I'm, as you know, I'm on board for that. Yeah. Um, any other things to say about, oh, I, I wanted to say, I find it really interesting that Williamson keeps using Alfred as inspiration or like, uh, guidance for Damien and no one else in the bat books is really addressing Alfred's loss at all. And I wonder if Nightwing did. Nightwing did a little bit, but Nightwing did it for a very particular purpose of just like getting him the money. Once he had the money, that hasn't Alfred hasn't shown up again. Yeah, that's what the money's for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, the briefcase, suitcase, suitcase. Um, um no, well, I, I like that too. I think that I think the Alfred stuff has been consistently some of the best stuff of this book. Um, yeah, and especially I, this issue. Yeah, I I wonder if it's if like from Williamson's perspective if because Damien is younger and hasn't lost as much as the others that it's affecting him more or if it's just that other writers aren't interested in dealing with it. I don't know. All right. Well, that brings us to our final issue of the week. Got a little bit of a shorter show this week, but it's, it's the week between Christmas and new year's be thankful. You got anything grubs. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Swamp thing, green hell. Number one written by Jeff Lemire illustrated by Doug monkey. Vincey, take us away with this one. Um, boy, uh, I I liked it, but I don't love it. And I think this exact this is this book carries the exact recipe for making a book I will like and not love, if that makes any sense. And I think prestige format. Yep, uh, oversized issues. Oversized issue. Uh, like marquee talent on it. Um, a character that you like, a surprising guest star you weren't expecting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, art taking over the book at a certain point. Uh, and and basically no words during, you know, like um, decompressed in that way. Right. 
Um, so like overly long, but then like big stretches where it's just the, you know, the bad swamp thing, tossing people around and ripping them apart, you know, mm-hmm. it, it makes for, and I, that always makes me sound like an art hater when I complain about art hater, <laughs> hater of art, name the song, name the song. I know it, but I'm not going to, you derailed me and I'm going to be sitting here. I know, I know, I know what it is. Just say it. It's uh, it's from uh, the love below by Andre 2000 love hater. Yeah. 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 Track yeah. one or two off the love below. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I'm not an art hater. It's just that, that sometimes it's not enough to carry the book or, or it's too much of the same thing. You know, I love great art, but this one just had a, a lot of pages of the bad swamp thing, tearing people apart um, where it was just that and not doing much else. And, and, and I know that is what they were going for. They were going for, this is a, a Doug monkey artistic showcase at this moment, you know, and I appreciate it. Cause I think the monkey art looks really good. You know, it's just that it's a little, it make it made for the, the overlong issue to be a little slight somehow. And so I liked it, you know, I'm not trying to like, I don't, I didn't dislike it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it because there just there wasn't enough meat to it. Um, and I want, there's more, I want to say, but you guys do your, you know, to, to like, what did you guys think of it in general? <laughs> Zach? Um, I'm kind of the same. Not not necessarily for the exact same reasons. I actually don't mind when the artists get to do a lot of... I like when my comics have a lot more pages and, and fewer words on the pages because I really like taking in the art and letting the visual storytelling do stuff. And if I want to read words, I'll read a book. Damn it. Um, (laughs) But uh, I felt like much of this issue was just like, not like uninteresting preamble, like basically everything up to the like creation of the evil swamp thing I thought was pretty dull. Um, and then I feel like the book really gets going and then, and then you get to the reveal at the end of, you know, like who you get, you get the John Constantine reveal and you're like, Oh yeah, there we go. Now the book is now the book is going. And I, I just, I, I don't know. It's a 50, our, our PDF is 50 pages. Uh, like half of that is interesting to me. And I think this is a three issue thing. Um, so this is basically a six issue mini and the first issue was boring. <laughs> um, I guess is my takeaway. Yeah. I don't think either of you are barking up the wrong tree uh, about this. What I would say this has going for it is some very good art. And I would mm-hmm. say that there is something pretty interesting about sort of all the parliaments deciding at the same time that like, Oh, the world's the world has to end. Let's just let's just get rid of this thing right now. I think that's an that interesting... sequence is very cool. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting place to start a story. I think that the less interesting part of it 
is that now Swamp Thing is here to uh, like fight the green. I think that's less interesting than if it was somebody who wasn't Swamp Thing fighting the green. I just feel like the Swamp Thing versus the Parliament of Trees is a, a pretty common type of thing to get. Even if it's not, it's usually more of a disagreement than like a, an actual battle. But it just seems to me like that, that that's that's not where I would have liked to see this go necessarily. It's, it's definitely a story we've seen before. And I know like Swamp Thing's name is in this the title of this book. So... I, I should know what to expect, but <laughs> when Lemire talked, when this was announced and Lemire said, I'm, I'm going to use this, this is going to have a lot of ideas or, or you know, re-examine or bring back some ideas that I addressed on uh, Animal Man. I, I almost, I wish that this was like an Animal Man book, you know, more <laughs> so than a small thing book, really. Yeah. Um, and my guess is when he said that, he really just meant the the, um, the like parliaments like the, and stuff. Yeah, or, the way that the, the way that the red, the green, and the rot are intertwining. Yeah, yeah I'm afraid. Yeah, that's, I think you're probably I'm afraid right. that's going to be it. Me too. Yeah. I, I'm I'm hoping for so much more, but I think you're right about that. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we get that one character from the the other planet that like conscripts Animal Man. Like, oh God, yeah, character comes back. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised about that. Sure. And wouldn't it, the it would be really stuff, wild yeah. if, like, it'd be wild if that's Buddy, actually, you know, mm, mm-hmm. because he was supposed to take on that role. Oh, yeah. Good call. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's too obscure for them to actually do, but. And too connected. Yeah. But I, but, mean, but I love where you're, I love where your head's at. I. It may be, but also it's just like, this is a future story. Like this is a future DC story. I don't think that you would necessarily have to have read Lemire's Animal Man. No, totally. For no. for Buddy Baker to just come back and be like, I'm a space god now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I, I don't think it will happen. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Yeah. They got to bring back the guy who says Blondie Man. Yeah. <laughs> He's in this. What? He was in this? Yeah. I, I Oh, yes, he was. Yes, he was. You're right. You're yeah, right. Page, page 17 of the PDF. Yeah. He didn't he didn't say Blondie Man. He didn't say Man. it. He didn't say it, but he's in there. Yeah. Along with one of the totems that I think actually died in Swamp Thing or in Animal Man, I mean, but whatever <laughs> see it's not not in continuity clearly not in continuity um i'll tell you like i liked all that stuff a lot i'll tell you the bit i could have done without the first part of the book that was essentially the last of us yeah yeah did not did not need that <laughs> agreed don't need yeah. another last of us slash walking dead slash whatever yeah, I, I that was definitely the weakest part, especially because like those stories just work better if you care about the characters. And yes. Lemire is a very good writer at times, but I feel like when Lemire is not when Lemire is getting to something else, you can tell he's just kind of moving moving things around just to get to the thing he wants to do. And yeah. this very much felt like he was just waiting around to get the thing he wanted to do. 
Yeah. It, so. it is kind of, it kind of stinks though, because these are also the kind of stories that Lemire is really good at doing. These kind of like very small personal like stories about people and their lives. And um, it was kind of uncharacteristically dull, I think. Yeah, that that stuff felt particularly phoned in, I thought. Yeah, agreed. That said, I am I'm interested to see where this book goes. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely liked it. There are a lot of books of this sort of uh, style and length, like, for instance, last week's Batman One Dark Knight, where you feel like, all right, I'm going to forget this book ever existed in in, a, in three months and then be shocked when it's the final issue coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not I'm not going to feel that way about this book. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more interested in this going forward. Yes. Vincy, what's coming out for us next week? Um, Arkham City. OK, this is uh, one four, right? Yes. Yeah. Arkham City, Order of the World, number four. Batman, number 119. Crush and Lobo, number eight. Dark Knights of Steel, number three. DC Horror Presents Soul Plumber, number four. Is anyone reading that? Um, uh, I, I just found out recently that uh, 2080 artist PJ Holden is doing some of the art on that. And oh. I love PJ's work. So I might check it out just for the PJ Holden art. Soul Plumber, does, it sounds like a, a 2080. Book. It sounds like Zeke the Plumber from Sleep Your Shorts. <laughs> This thing came apart. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Detective Comics 1047, uh, The Shadow of the Bat, Part 1. Justice League Incarnate, Number 3. Justice League Infinity, Number 7. One Star Squadron, Number 2. Suicide Squad, Number 11. Superman, Son of Kal-El, Number 6. The Joker Presents a Puzzle Box, Number 6. I cannot believe that's still going. (laughs) Um, And World of Krypton, Number 2. Stinky. (laughs) Well, that does it for us. Uh, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is currently substituting for Dr. Khan doing the announcements at Camp <laughs> Anawana. Awful waffle. Awful, awful waffle. waffle. <laughs> All right, good night, guys. <laughs> Well, I was mumbling through my hand, but also... What's in your hand? Your dick. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you. Look at what you've become. Look at what we've done to him. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a monster.